Welcome to the Nutrition Science Podcast, where we help you cut through the noise and make informed, science-based decisions about nutrition and your health. All right, welcome back to the Nutrition Science Podcast. On this episode, I am going to be interviewing my good friend, Dr. Joey Munoz. He has a nutrition PhD, just like I do, and he specializes in hypertrophy, which is muscle growth, and that's what we're going to be talking about in this podcast, we're going to jump right into the episode. If you want to learn more about Joey, definitely keep tuned in and we'll talk about where to learn more about his background, what he does, and a little bit more about that. But I want to jump right into the topic. So today we're going to be talking about muscle and why it's important to build muscle. Joey, can you let us know? I know a lot of people see muscle as like a look stink or or just yeah. like a vanity thing. It's it's only for people who are, you know, trying to be bodybuilders. Can you talk a little bit about why muscle is important for those reasons, but also for, you know, overall health reasons as well? Yeah. So the main benefit of having muscle is that people respect you more, right? I mean, something <laughs> you wouldn't know much about, Adrian, but it's okay. So <laughs> from a health perspective, all jokes aside, from a health perspective, yeah, man. So it's funny because when I first started posting on social media discussing the importance of building muscle, it's funny because people would comment like, oh, this is this this type of content is vain or it's just for for vanity, right? Like it's just for looks. And of course, I think most people probably start lifting for looks, right? Especially when we start lifting in our in our teenage years or early 20s, right? It's like the extrinsic motivation of wanting to look better. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But then you start learning more and you start learning about all of the health benefits that it has both physiological and psychological, because I think it has tremendous psychological benefits as well, right? We can talk a little bit about those, but specifically when it comes to physiological health, I mean, one of the biggest benefits is going to be bone health, really, right? And I, I think that's one of the reason, one, one of the main factors that we tend to overlook. And it's not that building muscle or muscle specifically is beneficial for bone, but it's the fact that heavy resistance training, right? Heavy resistance training is beneficial for bone health. For those of you that don't know, older adults above the age of 60 who, who break a bone due to a fall, about 50% of them die within one year, which is a crazy statistic. And I only know this because I did some research on osteoporosis during my PhD. And when you look at those numbers, it's like, wow, one, that's absolutely crazy. And two, to a degree, it's very much preventable, right? So typically we reach peak bone mass around the age of 30 or so. And then after that, you can maintain bone density for a while. And then unfortunately, as you age, you start to lose bone density, right? So you want to achieve peak bone mass ideally um, before the age of 30 or so, right? And if for those of you that are listening are older than the age of 30, don't worry. Doing heavy resistance training is still beneficial for maintaining and improving bone density as you age, right? So one of the biggest benefits is when you lift heavy stuff, your bones are stronger. If your bones are stronger there's less of a risk of falling and breaking a bone. If there's less of a risk of doing that, then there's less of a risk of dying, right? So that's one really big benefit. I mean, exercise in general, but resistance training specifically and building muscle is beneficial for glycemic control as well, right? One of the things people don't realize is like muscle is one of the biggest reservoirs of glucose in our body. So building more muscle can help improve glycemic regulation. Uh, building muscle let's, is something... Uh... 
let's uh talk about what that is a little bit okay, just in sure. case someone's not familiar with like glycemic control so what, what exactly is glycemic so control? so helps you regulate your blood sugar essentially right so for individuals who may be pre-diabetic or diabetic for example who have elevated fasting blood sugar just doing resistance training i mean the aspect of exercise is going to be helpful for weight loss increasing energy expenditure which will help regulate your blood sugar but building muscle itself is also beneficial for regulating blood sugar. And to take that a step further, typically individuals who are pre-diabetic or diabetic have a certain degree of insulin resistance, right? And that insulin resistance contribute, contributes to elevated blood sugar because you need insulin to take up sugar into your muscles and different tissues, right? And so if insulin isn't quote unquote working properly, then you have elevated blood sugar. Well, one of the benefits of resistance training is that you contract muscles. And when you contract muscles, you can actually uptake glucose independent of the actions of insulin, right? And this is a little bit different than building muscle, but there's really good research that simply just going on a walk after a meal can help reduce postprandial or after a meal blood sugar because you're walking, so you're contracting the, le the, the muscles of your legs. And so you're going to help uptake glucose independent of insulin. And that can be very beneficial for individuals who have a certain degree of insulin resistance. Yes. Right. Yes. I, I, that's a great point. And I want to like repeat that point. Um, so muscle contractions of any sort, like yeah. through resistance training or walking, but when, when we contract our muscles, even there's actually one study where someone's just doing calf races, like sitting at a desk. Yeah. All of these things take sugar out of our blood and into the muscles to use it for energy. And that's why exercise of various types, including resistance training, are incredibly important for blood sugar control because all of these muscle contractions are pulling, they're literally like just pulling sugar out of the blood and using it yep. to provide energy for those contractions. So exercise is so important. If you yeah. have any type of blood sugar regulation issues like prediabetes or diabetes, exercise is a must and all types of movement are gonna be helpful. Yeah, it's funny because most people exercise to lose weight, right? And that's like probably, I mean, it's beneficial, but it's probably like the last benefit you're going to get from yeah. from exercise. It's like the way I try to frame it is like exercise, the focus of exercise should be to improve your physical capacities, right? And that's really one of the benefits talking about muscle specifically. It's like, hey, you're stronger. You're more physically capable, right? As you age, you want to be able to play with your kids. You want to be able to play with your grandkids, you don't want your joints to hurt. You don't want your back to hurt just from bending over. And it's funny because people think like, oh, like I have back pain, so I don't lift weights. It's like, no, quite the opposite. If you have back pain, you should be lifting weights safely, right? Somebody should teach you how to do it correctly, but it's going to help with chronic pain as well. Actually, I think this is a perfect moment to tell the story. And I tell a story all the time. But when I was a personal trainer, when I was doing my master's degree, I was working with this lady who was probably like late 60s, early 70s at the time. And she had been working out her whole life, like doing aerobics classes and stuff like that, but she didn't really resistance train much. And I used to run like a little group coaching class at this gym that I worked at and we got along really well. So she hired me as her one-on-one -on -one personal trainer. And she told me that like one of the things she would like to work on is reducing her knee pain because she had really bad knee osteoarthritis, pretty much couldn't sit down without pretty bad knee pain, right? She was one of those people that like when they sit down, they just like plop down because they can't control uh, like bending their knees, right? So 
We literally just progressed her little by little. When we first started working together, she could barely bend her knees to like 15, 20 degrees without pretty good pain. So we just worked in that range of motion. And then a month later, she could bend a little bit more, could bend a little bit more. And dude, I'm not exaggerating. About a year after, she was doing full, and I'm not exaggerating, full range of motion goblet squats with like 30, 40 pound dumbbell for reps. And her pain was gone. And it's like, we just progressed it slowly, right? think some of the people that experience chronic pain from lifting is like due to overuse or poor movement patterns or a combination of things. But if done correctly, lifting should really help reduce chronic pain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And in one of the key points there that I want to mention is, you know, when you're lifting weights, you are building the muscle that helps protect that joint. So yeah. you're building up the muscle tissue that helps stabilize that joint so that even if there's damage to various components of that joint, let's say, for example, you did have knee issue, you got into an accident, you messed up your your ligaments in that knee, they didn't heal correctly. If you build up muscle around that joint, you can still improve your capacity while having, you know, maintaining some of this structural issues or, you know, helping with some of these long-term issues. I'm definitely not an expert there, but I've, I've, you know, there's yeah. a lot of great research in that area of like the importance of building muscle to really help protect those joints as well. Um, yeah. yeah. So definitely um, interesting stuff. And and lifting specifically through a full range of motion can really help strengthen tendons and ligaments as well. Right. So it's like overall, I think everybody I'm biased here, but I think lifting is like the main thing people should be doing. That's my personal opinion because I just love lifting. But all right. So aside from, from cardiovascular health, what, and we'll be completely honest here for cardiovascular benefits, cardiovascular exercise is definitely superior, but resistance training has some cardiovascular benefits as well, right? Helps with glycemic regulation. And then there's a lot of research on its effects on mental health as well, right? There's associations. I know this stuff is not a straight up just causation, but there's associations with, between certain mental diseases, right? Alzheimer's in particular, and resistance training seems to be protective. I mean, all exercise in general is going to be protective towards mental disease. But even from yeah. like a personal, I mean, I've never dealt with depression, but I know that there is associations between resistance training, depression, mental health. So it's just an outlet, right? So like, at least for me personally, it's like, I'm not an angry person. I'm always happy. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I lift regularly pretty much every day. It's like, if you're angry, Go bust your ass in the gym. You're going to feel pretty damn good after, at least I do. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I completely agree. And one of the things that I wanted to kind of mention there is something a lot of people don't understand is that lifting weights is a neuromuscular activity. So your brain is involved. It's not just your muscles. Your brain, like when you start lifting, let's say you you could lift 20 pounds on a certain lift. A month and a half later, you're probably going to be almost twice as strong. And it's not that your muscles got twice as strong. Your yeah. brain improved its ability to activate those muscle yeah. fibers and contract them. And so you're able to, your brain's doing this. Like it's not even your muscles. And that I think is something really cool that a lot of people don't understand, especially when you're first getting started with lifting. And what you're doing is training your brain to move those muscles. And, yeah. and that improves your ability to move overall because your brain learns how to move those different, you know, joints and perform those different movements. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's even research showing that resistance training in like elderly populations with Parkinson's can help improve symptoms, right? Because a lot of the shaking related symptoms are associated with nervous system, right? And to touch on that a little bit, it's like people who don't lift don't understand the amount of focus that's required when you're actually like more advanced and you're lifting heavy stuff and like you're thinking about bracing your midsection and like people understand it's equally mentally exhausting as it is physically exhausting. It, it really is, like, especially when you're pushing your limits, right? Something you don't know much about either, but <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, no, but, but to, to talk about the nervous system thing, it's, it's interesting, right? Because the, the way it works is like a brain, a brain sends a signal down to our body, right? To keep it simple. And, and these nerves are firing and the nerves tell our muscles to contract, right? And when we first start lifting, it's like, we don't know how to contract the entire muscle at the same time. So we can't produce as much force. And we start to reinforce those nervous patterns essentially, right? And then you can more efficiently contract the muscle, which makes you stronger, more explosive, all of which are really important characteristics to me, a more able human being, right? Like you're going to be stronger. You're going to be, I mean, if you live in a first world country, you probably don't have an animal chasing you and you need to run away, but let's say you're in a dangerous situation. You need to run, right? Like these are all things that are extremely helpful that we don't tend to really think about. I mean, even yeah. simple stuff like carrying your groceries in, moving yeah. when you have to yeah. move, simple stuff like that, that you don't realize until you start lifting weights and, yeah. and then it starts to become obvious and, and yeah. you're like, oh, wow, you know, this, this thing that used to be hard for me is a lot easier now. And yeah. that, that is really cool. So it becomes we, easier. Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. The, some things in life, not everything. <sighs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, but so we've talked about how great resistance training is, but there's a barrier, you know, most people aren't doing it and most people aren't doing it consistently. Very, very small percentage of the population is doing proper resistance training on a consistent basis. And this barrier is because a few reasons, I think it's hard and there's a learning curve, you know, so, yeah. um, you can get hurt if you're just going into it and you don't know what you're doing. So I want to talk about like, how does someone get started? Like, what are you, what are you going to do? Like that, that's, it's great, but like, I'm scared to go into the gym or, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't know what to do. And yeah. so what do you do from there? Sure. So I think there's a lot of resources that are at people's disposal that could be really helpful if you've never, ever done this before. Right. First and foremost, if it's within your financial means, hire a personal trainer. And I'll say this, I highly recommend you don't go into your local box gym and hire a personal trainer because sometimes it's high school kids or like early college kids. And it's just like, unfortunately, there's no regulation for personal trainers. And at those gyms, people are making like 12, 13 bucks an hour. And it's just not going to be a quality personal trainer. There are some quality personal trainers, but they leave. <laughs> so if you have, if you, if there is a small local gym in your area, that's probably where you'll find a quality personal trainer. Okay. So number one is hire a personal trainer. If you can't afford to hire a personal trainer, there are really incredible resources online for free, right? Two YouTube channels that I would highly recommend. Jeff Nippard is fantastic. Jeff, J-E-F-F, Nippard, N-I-P-P-A-R-D, I'm pretty sure. And two is Mike Isratel. He talks a little bit more about advanced bodybuilding stuff, but he has great videos on like beginner related stuff, Right. You could find some really awesome beginner related programs for very cheap online. You know, I can share some with you if you want to put them in the description of this episode after, but essentially you want to take a little bit of time to educate yourself, right? 
step one. With anything, you need to learn about the thing you're going to do before you actually do it. So educate yourself a little bit. There are th those two channels that I just mentioned. Jeff Nippert has a ton of free content for complete beginners. And they're, they're literally videos called like resistance training for beginners, like how to do this exercise for beginners. Absolutely fantastic. So watch a good amount of content so you feel comfortable with the things that you're going to do. Step two, when you actually step into the gym, don't feel pressured to do the stuff that other people are doing, right? Like you might see me in the gym and I have a barbell on my back or I'm doing a deadlift or I'm doing these movements that look really complex and intimidating. And to be honest, there shouldn't be anything intimidating about them, but they are difficult to learn, right? Like, like we were talking about, it's like there's a neurological component here that is associated with learning how to actually do the movement correctly, right? Just like, I don't know, a freestyle dancer can do backflips in the air and do like certain things on the floor, uh, twisting on the floor. I've always liked breakdancing, dude, it looks so cool. But you know, th those are skills that you learn. People think, people think that lifting is just about how strong you are and an aspect of it is strength, but an aspect of it is very, very skill related, right? Like shooting a free throw for, for when you play basketball, like Professional players will shoot hundreds of free throws per day. You know, it's the same thing with the gym. If you want to do a squat and do it correctly, it requires practice to actually learn how to do the movement. So I actually highly recommend people start with just machines. Machines are really easy to use. They have a fixed movement pattern and you don't really have to like think about it too much, right? If you start on a leg press instead of a barbell squat, there's nothing wrong with that. Actually, if you just care about muscle growth, you probably never even have to do a heavy barbell squat. You can learn to do it if you want to learn how to do it and it looks cool and there are some benefits of free weight movements, but from a muscle growth perspective, if you're just starting off, like just start with machines, maybe do machines for a couple months, get to the point where you really feel like you know how to push your intensity. Even with like a leg press, you might feel a little bit awkward at first, right? Get really comfortable doing machines. Don't feel like you have to go to the gym every day. Just starting with two or three times a week is perfectly fine. And this is going back to like finding a good beginner program, but ideally you just want to go to the gym about three times per week to a full body training program. You don't have to be doing workout splits or anything like that. Um, or I mean, this beginner stuff. The, the other option though, because here's the thing. I know a lot of people, the gym is intimidating. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people, they have to start more so with getting used to some of the movements at home, like with some... Yeah. smaller weights and bands and things like that. And then, and then you have a little bit more comfort in knowing that you can do a squat or yeah. you can do, you know, some of these different movements yeah. at home and, in maybe spend a few months if you're really intimidated, kind of going that direction. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, I think for a lot of people, that's a, that's a big barrier is like stepping into the gym. There's other people and they're, trying to learn something in front of other people that they haven't done before it can be that yeah. like, kind of that first step. That's a great point. And you can do that at home alongside the educational component, right? I, I think that that's a perfect um, kind of recommendation is learn about it while doing some at home stuff. I can't recommend enough. And I know we're both kind of biased here, but I've just seen what people get out of it and investing into a coach and it doesn't have to be someone in your area. You can yeah. get just as much benefit from working with someone online. Now, sometimes it's going to be helpful to have someone in person because people are scared to push themselves to the degree that you really need to yeah. because it feels uncomfortable, but having a good online coach can 
help you learn the information, start to implement it, start to get comfortable with it. And you really don't, you, it's not that you need to have a personal trainer forever and you need to have that in your budget for the rest of your life. Depending on, you know, where you're starting three or six months of working with a good coach should set you up for the rest of your life. And you'll know, you'll know what to do. You'll know, you'll feel comfortable with the exercises. It will have taken that, that three-year learning curve and shrunk it into six months or three months. And you'll feel comfortable with resistance training and what you need to be doing um, or what's going to be most beneficial for your health after that. I, I think with resistance training, that's one of the things that it really helps to just have someone by your side because of the various challenges of technique of learning sets and reps and and rest periods and frequency throughout the week and how hard you're supposed to push yourself and RPE, which is rating of perceived exertion, like all of these things, they can get really complicated and overwhelming. And a lot of that oftentimes can keep someone from doing what you need to be because it's just too many question marks of like, should I do this? Should I do that? How much should I rest? How many times per per week? Do I, do I need to, like you said, the split, do I need to do a workout split or a full body and just having a good quality coach to say, Hey, this is what you need to be doing. This is why this is how we're yeah. going to progress. This is what I recommend. Cause, cause resistance training isn't something that's going to change all the time. It's going to be something that you do. And after six months, you're pretty much going to do the same stuff over and yeah. over again forever. And you just yeah. increase the weight a little bit <laughs> over time yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and mo- like slightly modify, you know, variables, but you have like, and I know some people get bored of that, but that it's the, very monotonous. The thing that you keep, the way you keep it exciting is by slightly modifying some of the variables. Like, okay, I'm going to do two sets of a little bit more weight and challenge myself in that way, or a little bit, yeah, a little bit less weight, or I'm going to do, you know, a couple of really, you know, low reps, one to two reps and and challenge myself in that way. And, but, but you do have to kind of get used to the monotony because that's what it is. But if you, as Joey mentioned, like the, you get a positive, you know, mental health benefit once you get past the, The the initial period, because the initial period you're questioning yourself, it hurts. Yeah. It feels weird. You're sore the next day. You don't know if you're doing the exercise right. And that's why almost no one does it is because yeah. once you, if, if you can work up the courage to get into the gym and try it, and then you deal with all this stuff, it's like, why would anybody do this? Yeah. But the reality is that once you get past that curve and you develop some comfortable, like you get comfortable in the gym and you have some confidence with it. And as Joey said, it doesn't have to be seven days a week. It, three days a week will change most people's physique and health in a dramatic way. If you're doing three days a week of quality resistance training and you're taking it up to the intensity that it needs to be. The challenge is that a lot of people, it's probably one of the biggest things that I see, and and I want to hear your take on this, but I think one of the biggest issues that I see for a lot of people is when they do start putting in the like start actually going and putting in the effort and learning about it. Oftentimes they're not going hard enough in terms of intensity. Yeah. I want to touch on two things really quick that you brought up and then I'll talk about that intensity component. I'd say for most people who are just starting off, yes, working with an online coach can be fantastic, 
But I do think there's something about that real-time feedback in the gym that helps you learn this much quicker, right? So I work with a lot of online clients and I, and I coach them with their training as well as with their nutrition, but I, I tend to only accept online clients that have had at least a, a year of experience with the resistance training because it's really hard. Like I ask my clients to send me videos of their exercise and I give them feedback, but there's something about having a personal trainer, like touching you and saying, Hey, shoulder a little bit more back or Hey, hips a little like real time feedback. Yeah. The, the rate of learning is exponential. I've worked with clients who are completely new and it just takes them a long time to learn stuff right off the bat. And I've had clients who are completely new and I tell them this information and then they'll actually hire a personal trainer for like another four to six weeks to learn alongside my recommendations. Cause I'm like programming for them, talk, talking about intensity, all the other things. And I, they just have the trainer for, for technique. And there is something about like having somebody in person at least for a month or two, that will be really, really helpful. Second thing I wanted to talk about was the intimidation thing. I understand it's a completely normal feeling. We all tend to feel intimidated when we're doing new things, but understand that Nobody at the gym is really judging you. Most people who are experienced in lifting are really happy to see new people in the gym because we're passionate about it. We're happy to see new people in the gym. And most people who are into lifting are pretty damn nice. Again, because lifting makes you a nice person. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I'm saying that jokingly, but I, I really do strongly believe that, right? I, I really do believe that. Like people who are passionate about the gym, like I'm sure there are exceptions, but most people are pretty welcoming and pretty nice. And like, if you see a pretty big, strong dude in the gym, they'll probably be pretty open to like answering your questions and helping you out. I'm not saying that you have to go up to people and ask questions, but understand that the fear of intimidation or, or the thought of intimidation usually comes from the fact that like you're embarrassed that you might be doing things wrong. Trust me, nobody is judging you at the gym. If they are, that says more about them than it does about you, right? So, I mean, doing new things is intimidating, right? Starting a podcast is intimidating. People are going to listen to you like hundreds of thousands of people perhaps. Doing a talk in front of a thousand people is intimidating, but anything in life that's like worth doing that you're starting up is pretty intimidating and difficult. And I think just developing the skill of uh, saying, I'm going to do this independent of what it is, independent of whether you feel intimidated or not, is a really important skill for like many aspects of your life overall. Now, we were just talking about the intensity component, right? Yes, intensity. So yeah, one of the things that people struggle with, and I've seen this a number of times with new clients that I've had who tell me they've been working out for like even several years. And then I see videos of them training and it's like the last repetition looks like the first repetition. And then they just put the weight down. And so lifting weights for the purpose of lifting weights is good for your health, right? Lifting weights for, for the purpose of building muscle specifically requires you to train in a very specific way. And one of those things that is really important is the intensity. Intensity just means how hard you train. Now, how hard you train doesn't mean how much you sweat. doesn't mean how, how much your muscle burns. It doesn't mean how high your heart rate gets. Okay. And I'll give you examples why. You can lift in really hot temperature and sweat a lot. You can rest very short rest periods and your heart rate will go through the roof. And you can grab five pounds and do a bicep curl 50 times and your bicep will be on fire. None of those are indicative of muscle growth. What really matters is that whatever exercise you're doing, you're pushing to the point, you don't have to fail, but you're pushing to the point where you have no more than maybe two or three reps left in the tank. And now people are like, two or three reps left in the tank, that's a lot. It's like, no, if you, once you get to the point where you learn to really push yourself, if you leave two reps left in the tank, two real reps, that's a very, very difficult set. 
right? Let's say your max on the bench, Adrian's probably somewhere around 225, 245 for 10 reps. If you do that for eight reps, that's still really, really hard work, right? So the intensity component is really important. How can you determine what your intensity is? Well, if you take video of yourself, your last repetition should look visibly substantially slower than your first repetition, right? Let's say we're going to do a bicep curl, an exercise everybody is familiar with. You do your first repetition at a certain speed and you keep going throughout your set. If you take a video of that set and you look at the set and the last repetition is pretty much the same speed as the first repetition, I don't care if your muscles burned, that wasn't an intense set, right? The burning sensation just comes from high repetitions. It just means that like you could have pushed harder. You could have done more repetitions. I would argue that your last repetition should be roughly half the speed of your first repetition. And it's not because you purposefully slow down. Your intent should always be to contract the muscle as fast and powerfully as possible. It's just, you, you just can't, right? You're getting to the point where like your entire body is trying to move the weight and you're just getting fatigued. So you cannot move it as fast anymore. When you get to that point, that's when you know that that was an effective set for muscle growth specifically. When we look at the research on this topic for muscle growth specifically, you do need to be about two to three reps shy of failure. If you're not, that set really wasn't that conducive towards muscle growth. Again, great for exercise. It's still great that you're doing something, but it's not the best for muscle growth. And the way that I work on this with my clients is I just give them feedback on their videos. Yeah. Like most clients that start off who like the intensity is not there. Their technique is probably pretty good, but like the intensity is just not there. I go over their videos during their check-ins. I'm like, if you check it out here, like the speed on the last one was pretty similar to the first one. You probably had another five or six reps left here. This week, try to do another three reps on this set, or we bump up the weight for the same number of repetitions. Usually after like four or six weeks about talking about this intensity related stuff, they learn how to really push themselves. Right. And then that's usually when they're like, wow, I'm pretty sore and tired the next day. Yeah. You know, another really good sign guys, if you rest one minute and you feel like you're ready to go for another set, the intensity is not there. Yes. Okay. If you do a set of any hard compound movement, a leg press, a squat, a bench press, a row, anything that requires like multiple joints, right? So we're not talking about a bicep curl here. We're talking about a big movement. If you finish your set, you rest a minute and you're good to go. You did not push hard enough. If you push hard enough, your body will need at least, at least like three minutes, really. And even then I rest longer than that personally, but most people around three minutes should feel good to go for the next set. That's a really good indicator. Like I've had clients, dude, I'll write them a workout and the whole workout is maybe 14 sets total of some big compound movements. And they're like, I got this done in 30 minutes. I'm like, yeah, no way. I know. There's no way you got it <laughs> I've done in 30 minutes. You know? I, I've been on the other side of that. I don't write, I don't write exercise programs anymore, but I've been on the other side of that too. Yeah, where I'm yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. are not working hard enough if you do not, if you're able to get that done that quickly. And, and, yeah. you're, and you're right. And, and so the importance here, and this, I mean, this is beneficial for strength as well, correct? Or not just mainly hypertrophy? Sorry? In terms of like taking it close to your failure, is that beneficial for strength or just muscle growth? Is okay, so, like so it's, it's going to be beneficial for both, right? Okay. But there are definitely some differences in the way you would train for strength versus the way you would train for muscle growth. Proximity to failure is much more important for muscle growth than it is for strength, actually. And we tend to think the opposite. What matters for strength is that you handle heavy loads frequently. Okay. And here's what I mean. Like, let's say, because strength, a component of strength is, is practice. Like we talked about a lot of strength is neurological. And that's why there's like really, really strong power lifters 
And I mean, the top level guys are muscular, but they're not muscular like bodybuilders, yeah, yeah. not even close. Right. So if you want to train a little bit more for, for strength, and this is where the nuance comes in, it's like frequency probably matters a little bit more because you probably want to practice the movement pattern more frequently, right? Like for hypertrophy, optimally, you can train a muscle twice per week. You can get really strong training twice per week too, but the guys that like are very specific and like, I'm trying to optimize strength or maybe training their squat four or five times per week. Okay. Not close to failure because that would fatigue the hell out of you, but they're just practicing the movement. Just like basketball players will practice certain skills, right? Mm -hmm. They might practice their crossover, their free throw, but they're not going hundred percent all the time. So what matters is that you have handle heavy loads and heavy loads is relative to your absolute strength. Let's say your max squat is 300 pounds. Well, you want to be handling 90% of that on a regular basis, 270 pounds, 280 pounds. You could probably do 90% of it four or five times, really, if you push yourself, but just doing it once or twice, two repetitions, doing a couple sets of that. It's just practicing the movement under heavy load is really, really beneficial for strength. Whereas that wouldn't really contribute much to, to muscle growth. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So intensity wise though, uh, when it comes to muscle growth, we, we definitely need to be taking it close to failure. And this is something that I see it all the time. Exactly what you're saying. Cause I go to a gym, there's a lot of people and you can kind of see people who stop when you know, like, okay, there was five or six reps at least left in the tank. Because if you're, if you're doing a movement and the other, the other piece, like if you're, if you did 10 of something and you could have done 16, you're likely not getting much of a benefit from that yeah. from that set from a from a muscle growth perspective. And and the goal isn't to always be building, trying to build muscle and, and become this, you know, because when we talk about and and I know that some people get this perception when we talk about muscle growth, people think, oh, well, you know, you're trying to get to a bodybuilder level. No, it's just important to build some muscle for our metabolism and also yeah. for body composition. And then maintaining that requires training in the same way so training yeah. like closer to failure if you, you don't have to do as much after you build muscle but if you're maintaining if you're still training that way you can maintain muscle. like i i can maintain muscle the same amount of muscle that it took me a lot more effort to yeah. build in like one or two days a week of like you know or two days a week of like yeah. different you know different exercises and i won't lose any muscle as long as i'm not, you know, eating in a deficit and things like that. So there's actually really good research on this, like how much volume is required to just maintain. Mm-hmm. If you do like a ninth, one ninth of the volume you typically do, you won't really lose any muscle. Now wow. keep in mind, you'll lose some muscle volume because you won't have as much water, intracellular water, but contractile muscle strength, you'll, you'll maintain it. You know, you might look a tiny bit smaller, but even one ninth of the volume, which is a huge difference, right? Cause people are like, Oh, I'm going on vacation for a week. It's not going to do anything to your muscle mass. It, it's like, Anything that's really, really hard to build, you just, you're not just going to lose it, you know, uh, yeah. which is really nice. And yeah. I was going to say something here. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> so, so let's, let's take that into when you said, you know, once you build it, what does it take to build it? Like, what does that require overall? Okay. Like what would someone need to do to build a significant amount of muscle? What's the timeline? What would they need to do in terms of training, eating? Yeah. What goes into that? Okay. There's so much that goes into this. Right. Summarized version. First off, let's talk about <laughs> not the PhD version. Well, well, even just on a basic level, I think it's important to start this conversation by talking about expectations. Okay. Cause our expectations are based off what we see online. That's what we see. It's like most people that, that are posting stuff online, like a lot of them, ha- I mean, pretty much most of them have superior genetics. Genetics play a huge role, unfortunately, 
And I say, unfortunately, because I wish I had better genetics <laughs> and two, and two, like a lot of people are very dishonest about drug use. Right. And three people edit their photos and stuff like that, which is kind of shitty, but it is what it is. And, and four, even without editing, like people take pictures when they look the best. If I go to the, if I take off my shirt right now, I kind of just look like a normal guy. If I go to the gym, get a pump, take off my shirt, take pictures with really good lighting in the gym. I look really good, you know? And anytime I take pictures, it's at the gym after a pump. Cause I look really good. Like I'm not just going to take like a picture looking like a normal guy at home, you know? So it's normal for us to want to show off what we look like at our best. If you guys are watching the video to this podcast, look at me. I kind of look like a normal guy. I've been lifting really, really freaking hard knowing what I'm doing for over 10 years now. It's just part of it is genetics. And two is it takes really, really long time to build muscle. I don't know if you curse on your podcast, man, but I was gonna say it takes a really fucking long time to build muscle. But it's I'm funny. I had to put like the the explicit little beep label on. Yeah. When I started lifting, I remember I started lifting in high school. But then when I I my freshman year of college, I got really serious about it. And I was like, okay, by my sophomore year of college, I'm gonna be jacked and I'm gonna look really good. That didn't happen. Like a year is not that long. I mean, you'll build muscle, you'll build muscle immediately as soon as you start, but it, it takes a long time to see like a radical change in your body, right? And sophomore year came along and I'm like, all right, I'm going to give myself a little bit more time. By my senior year, I'll look really good. I'm like by my senior year, I looked all right, but like it's it just takes a long time, right? I'd say like most things to become a quote unquote like expert or radically change your body, it takes at least five to 10 years. Five on the shorter end if you have good genetics, 10 years if you don't have good genetics. And now that sounds like, that sounds crazy. And people, people when I when I say that, people are like, you're really pushing me away from lifting. And it's like, you shouldn't think of it that way. And I know it's hard not to think of it that well, way. Well, see, I, I think that you're also discussing top, like get to the top of your genetic level, whereas people will see a lot of changes yeah. in the first six months in one You'll see year, some drastic changes in a, in a six to six months. That's where years, like so. 60, 70% of your benefits are going to come on the front yeah. end. But it is going to take that five to 10 years to get to where you're you want at to be your, ideally your top peak of, yeah. of muscle building uh, potential. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No doubt, man. I mean, what people don't realize is typically when they want to look better and they want to build muscle, what's going to give them immediate benefits in the way they look is just getting leaner. It just comes down to losing body fat, right? Which is actually counterindicative towards building muscle. Because if you want to build muscle, you should actually be, if you're a beginner, you can stay at maintenance. You can maintain your body weight. You'll actually build a lot of muscle because lifting weights is a novel stimulus. Now, if you want to optimize your rate of muscle gain, it actually requires you to slowly gain weight. Why? Because the excess food can be used for building muscle, right? It's like the example I give my clients when they ask me like, oh, I don't really want to gain weight, but I want to build muscle. It's like, okay, imagine you have a small house, okay? Can you build a bigger house without any additional material? You can't, right? Like, you, I mean, in some fancy ways, sure you can, but let's say basic simplistic here, you cannot build a bigger house unless you have additional building materials, right? Those building materials for muscle is additional food and food in general, because people are like, oh, just eat more and more and more protein. It's like, you don't need a ridiculous amount of protein. Most people don't eat sufficient protein. For building muscle, it really does seem that about 1.6 grams per kilo, which is about 0.8 grams per pound of body weight, 
is really effective and anything above that isn't really necessary. In some niche situations, higher protein intake can be arguably better, but for most people, it's not. And for most people, if you have excess body fat, it doesn't even need to be 0.8 grams per pound of body weight. It can be 0.8 grams per pound of ideal body weight, right? Because if you have excess adiposity, you don't really need to take that weight into account when calculating your protein needs. But for most people, let's say I'm, let's say a hypothetical client here is already pretty lean. They're skinny. They want to build muscle. Most teenage guys, right? I'd say probably just going 200, 300 calories above maintenance is a really good place to be. You don't have to track your calories for this. You can just track your body weight. That's what I did for years. I've tracked my calories before. didn't really enjoy it. I found it a lot easier to just track my body weight on a weekly basis. I just stepped on a scale in the morning, looked at my weight, and I tried to increase my weight about half a pound every one to two weeks. So very slow and consistent because building muscle is a really slow process. One of the main things that people get wrong is like, okay, I need to gain weight to build muscle, so I'm just going to gain weight as fast as possible. And what happens is you put on a ton of body fat, two months later, you're not happy, and then you try to lose weight, and two months is not enough time to build muscle, so you don't really ever make any drastic changes. That was a mistake I made for years when I first started lifting. Anytime I tried gaining muscle, I would just like, dude, I would down food. I was drinking like, before bed, I would drink like, like 32 ounces of chocolate milk. No exaggeration. Chocolate milk? See, I was down in food like crazy. So I... I think I had a very similar uh, route to you. Like when I was 19, I just started that. that yeah. Like when I, in my freshman year of college, I spent like four months learning about lifting. Yeah. And then I got in the gym and just started going hard. Like I was yeah. like, I'm going to build some muscle because I was like 175 pounds at the yeah, time yeah, yeah. or something like that. Same. And I gained like, I gained like 30 pounds over, yeah. over a year. But yeah. I was, I was eating. Like yeah, I, I, was, yeah. I was lifting hard for a year and eating. A lot. And, and I was on like the bodybuilder, eat as much protein as you possibly can. And then like, besides that, just eat anything possible. <laughs> like, you yeah, know, yeah, just yeah. eat. So I gained a, quite a bit of weight. Um, yeah. But, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that experience either too, because sure you put on some body fat, but like, I really do think people learn from their mistakes really well. Right. So maybe it's a mistake that really helps people because Thinking back on it now, if I was 18 again and somebody told me, hey, just gain half a pound every two weeks, a pound a month, I'd say, hell no. <laughs> you know, I no, just it worked. Like, I no. mean, what I did, what I did yeah, worked exactly, for me exactly. at the time. The thing is, unfortunately, then you have to like focus on losing body fat after. And perhaps the, the reason why I say slow weight gain is because realistically, you want to be in a gaining phase for as long as you possibly can. If your goal is to build muscle, right? I've been in a slow gaining phase personally right now for a little over a year. And it's like, I've just been doing it really, really slow. And it's beneficial like that because again, building muscle is super slow. And there's pretty good evidence that going like 500 or a thousand calories above maintenance doesn't grow that much more muscle than just going 200 calories above maintenance. Like you don't need that much about above maintenance because the max rate of weight gain is actually very, not rate weight gain. The max rate of muscle gain is actually very little, right? Like there does seem to be a cap on how much muscle you could build per unit of time. And just eating more doesn't accelerate that. So it's like, why would you eat more? Sure, it's good for your ego. Like, you feel like a big dude. I mean, this is, I think this is more of a problem for young guys than it is for anybody else, right? So yeah, yeah. maybe we're that, speaking to like I, the I wrong audience for, here. I think but. From, uh, from the perspective of a lot of probably the listeners of the show yeah. and audience, like eating more and gaining weight is kind of scary. Is it is scary. That, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people who have been losing weight, losing weight, losing weight, calorie deficit or yep. under eating, cutting out foods. Yep. And 
gaining weight and eating more is like, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Really so let me share something here that really helps with my clients in terms of like perspective shift when it comes to this. Okay. So most people who start off, first goal is lose weight, right? They learn about energy balance. They learn about healthy food choices. They start working on improving their lifestyle. They start working on improving dietary choices, start tracking their calories. They start losing weight, right? Maybe they spend three months, six months losing weight. They lose a considerable amount of weight. They feel really good about where their weight is currently and weight's something they've struggled with their whole life. So the idea of purposefully increasing weight is really scary, right? What I tell my clients is your goal or not even your goal, like your weight is not going to stay stable the rest of your life. Your weight fluctuates, right? It really does. Even if like you're not trying to gain or lose weight, like your weight just fluctuates. There's going to be seasons where your weight's a little bit higher. There's going to be seasons where your weight's a little bit lower. What I tell my clients is like from working with me, yes, your, your goal on paper is to lose weight, but what you're really doing with working with a coach is learning the skills necessary to lose body fat if necessary, right? So you've done it once, feel confident you can do it again. And what people don't realize is like, there's a lot of positives that come with eating a little bit more food. You feel really good. You can train really hard. You usually sleep a little bit better too. You usually have better energy levels. You don't have to be as tedious about what you're eating. You can go out to dinner with family and friends a little bit more frequently without like any guilt or feeling bad that you're going over your calories. So there's a lot of positives that comes to, uh, that comes with eating a little bit more food. And another thing I tell my clients is like, understand this is a transient period of time. This is a time that you are dedicating to a particular goal that's important to you, which is building muscle. If your goal of building muscle is really important, then it is important that you are okay with this process of slowly building, uh, slowly increasing weight. And usually what I tell them is like, if you gain about half a pound every other week, even if you gain 10 pounds or so over the next six months, it's, you're not going to look considerably different in terms of body fat percentage because you're going to build muscle. Like your body composition will actually look somewhat similar, right? And then what I tell them that really usually convinces them is like, Hey, you've built these skills with me of weight loss. Like, do you think if you were to start over, could you do this again? Yes, of course I could do it again because I did it right. So after those six months, if you have a little bit more body fat than you feel comfortable with, you could lose that quickly, usually a month or two, it, because you won't put on as much body fat as you did before, right? Even if let's say you start at 180 pounds, let's say you lose weight to 160 pounds and let's say you walk pretty hard back up to 180 over the next year, the way you looked at 180 before is not the same as well, what you're going to look like at 180. Different. Yeah. Drastically if, different, right? Drastically different. If you're lifting and eating enough protein and doing yeah. it in a, in a, you know, intelligent way, drastically yeah. different. And that, that's you're the thing. That's the opposite of what most people are doing with weight cycling. When people go on low calorie diets, they lose muscle and then they gain fat back and then they lose muscle again when they go on. Like this happens. If all they're the not time, resistance like, training, for example, well, yeah, we're talking about general, general, yeah, exactly. With general yeah. public of if you're, if you've dieted your whole life and you've gone on 12 week diets where you're on really low calorie and you lose some weight and you've gained it back and you've done that multiple times, you've likely done the opposite of this which is lost muscle and you need to you, this is the solution I, yeah. I speak to a lot of people who say you know my metabolism doesn't work anymore you know I, or whatever like it, it's not working the same and it's often because of this it's because of this chronic weight cycling that has led to changes in body composition where your 130 now is 10 pounds more muscle or 150 yeah. is 10 pounds less muscle than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. And and so you have to eat 
less yeah. energy because you have less muscle and you're you're moving that that less because you've lost that muscle. And not only is it the solution, it's it's the only solution. Yeah. Like that's what I, people I can't tell you. I've had like, to talk to a lot of people because a, a lot of the the population that I work with tends to be, you know, middle, you know, 40, 50 women. Yeah. And this is what I have to have the conversation I have to have a lot of times is, Hey, look, and it's, it's hard to like actually get people to see eye to eye. Right. I actually recently Adrian only started taking on clients that are going to work with me for nutrition and training, because those are the clients that I know I can help the most that are actually going to make radical changes Yep. because I've worked with clients. Like I work with a slightly different population than you, like mainly focus on body composition. Right. And people will say that they want to come to me to hire me for just nutrition. And they want to lose weight, improve body composition. And then usually what I ask them is like, okay, like, can you show me some pictures of people's whose physique you like? And they'll show me a picture of like pretty muscular people. I'm like, you have to lift. And they're like, oh, like I run and stuff. I'm like, running's great. But if this is your goal, it's not going to get you there. Right. And unless you're going to be open to resistance training and working me with for working with me for resistance training as well, too, I'm not taking on clients who are just doing nutrition and not focusing on these things because then I've had clients who are dissatisfied with their results and they like tend to blame the coach because people tend to blame their coach. And it's like, you just weren't doing the things that you need to do, right? Like you have to lift, you have to lift, you have to lift, you have to lift if you want to improve your body composition. Now, if you just want to lose weight and you don't care about how much muscle you have, I know most people say they don't want to be muscly, but the ideal physique for most people requires building some muscle. Yeah, what, what, what people yeah. call toned is, is someone who has built muscle and doesn't yeah. have a lot of body fat. Yeah. And, and everyone with the physique that everyone who says, Oh, I want to look like that. Yeah. In almost every case, that person has some muscle and, and that's just an important piece of it from a, from a looks perspective, besides all the health stuff we've talked about yeah. from a, from a looks perspective, which is fine. Another thing, and, I, and we got to get off of here, but, or like we get, we got to end the show pretty soon because I don't want it to drag on too long. But another thing that I want to quickly discuss is because I mean, my, my message is, you know, all about health for sure. And yeah. like most of my podcasts are centered around health. And then there, there's this narrative in the space that like doing things for vanity is not like is a bad thing. And I want to yeah. kind of address that a little bit. Like it's okay to do something because it's okay to lift weights because you want to look better. Yeah. Like that's yeah. why do, why do people get haircuts? Why do women get their nails done? Why do people buy nice clothes? Why do people buy a nice car? Right. It's like people do it because it, it gives them a certain level of pleasure. Right. At the end of the day, that's what it is. It makes you happy in some degree. And like, yeah, looking better is going to. I have a hard time with this message because I always try saying like. Looking better isn't necessarily the solution to being happier from a psychological perspective, but looking better will make you a little bit happier. Like you'll feel a little bit more comfortable with your body. Right. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to feel a little bit more comfortable, wanting to look a little bit better. It's not shallow. We all seek acceptance and social status and to, to some degree, right? And people tend to say like, oh, no, I don't care about that stuff. And I promise you, like, the reason why you do certain things in your life is for those reasons, right? I was actually just listening to a podcast and this guy was trying to argue that that's the main reason why people do most things. And he was talking to a mom and the mom was like, oh, no, because I would never trade my, my, what's the, t what's the type of car that's a mom car? Mini um, uh, No, no, like the, the, like. A mini like SUV, a minivan, I guess. A minivan. minivan yeah. yeah. She was like, I don't want to trade my, I would never trade my mini minivan for like a Lamborghini, right? 
And what the guy said is like, yeah, because you would lose status within your mom friend group, right? Like within your mom friend group, which is the people you associate yourself with most, having this car like signals that you are a good mom, for example, right? So when we start to think of it from that perspective, it's like most of the things we do are for some degree of social acceptance amongst the peers that we care about, right? Like, why do I care about the way I speak on social media? And I try not to curse and I try to sound educated, right? I could throw out the F word here and there and like whatever, but it's because I want people to see me as a professional, right? So there, I mean, all that's to say, there's nothing wrong with lifting for vanity reasons. And actually nobody starts lifting for non-vanity reasons. Maybe if you start lifting in like your sixties or your seventies, sure. But most young people who start lifting, it's mainly for vanity reasons. And there's actually really good research that extrinsic motivators, which vanity is an extrinsic motivator, a motivator outside of internal like desire, right? Is a really good motivator to start people doing things, right? To, to get people to start doing things. So like if there was no extrinsic motivation, you wouldn't just do something for no reason, right? And then there's really good um, research too showing that long-term adherence to something really comes from a shift from extrinsic to intrinsic motivation, right? Like even if I could never gain another ounce of muscle, even if I can never get any stronger, I would still lift because it makes me feel really, really good. I probably wouldn't lift as hard as I do, but I would still lift because it makes me feel fantastic. If you asked me that question when I started, hey, would you lift weights if you never built any more muscle? The answer would be no, because that's the only thing I cared about, right? So when you're first starting off, it's perfectly fine to care about it for vanity reasons. I think everybody's there. And anybody who says that that stuff like doesn't matter or that you shouldn't care about things for vanity reasons, they're just like not really thinking about it correctly or I don't know, like people suck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's a pushback from from the over, you know, the overemphasis on, on vanity overall in our society, which is understandable. Like, but I mean, if, if you're doing it for those reasons, that's, it's perfectly fine. And, and it's like you know, saying, it's like saying, educating yourself. Like you're trying to be smarter for vanity reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It would be so, the same type of argument. So, Cause I've heard that before multiple times and I what, just educating yourself. To, no, no. About, about, the, oh, lifting, about okay. the lifting. And it's like, well, I don't want to, you know, uh, or I don't want to like people see it as like vain. Yep. You're doing it because of vanity and people like, I see people saying like, there's a narrative around go, people go to the gym because because of vanity reasons. And like you said, oftentimes that that is the the first thing that gets people like I wanted to build muscle to, you know, have more okay. muscle as a as a young guy, but as you mentioned me as well like and I still lift hard and I, I don't even care if I gain muscle or, or strength. Yeah. I don't even pay attention to it at all. Yeah. But I still lift hard because it feels good. I just enjoy it. Like Yeah. In like me going in and doing a hard workout is it makes a lot of my day easier. Like, yeah. like other things, when someone calls me an idiot on social media, it, it, it doesn't really bother me. It has a, less of an impact because I went through a really hard training session. That yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. You don't have that pent up anger that other people do. Yeah. That, that stuff kind of goes away a little bit. So yeah, definitely highly recommend it for that reason, but we need to, we've been going for like an hour now, so I want to go ahead and- Can I say uh, one quick last thing, if you don't mind? Yeah, go ahead. We haven't touched about, that we haven't touched on much, that I think is one of the biggest benefits of lifting that we typically don't think about. It's like, it builds so much confidence and it allows you to really like feel comfortable trying difficult things, right? Because like, 
there is a feeling of nervousness or being scared when you're going to lift something really heavy, right? And like proving to yourself that you can do it. And over time, you get better at it. Over time, you get stronger. It builds a ton of confidence. I, I really do think like retrospectively, like a lot of the things that I've accomplished and I'm the type of person that, and th- I don't think this is just because how I am, but like when something seems scary or like daunting, I'm really confident that I can do it. And I'm really confident and I believe in my abilities. Why? Because I've proven to myself that I can do difficult things, right? I've taken on difficult endeavors. I've seen some success. So I'm a confident person that if I'm going to try something new, even though it may seem scary or difficult, I have the confidence to do that. And I really do think lifting weights for a lot of people is that first step to building that confidence, especially if you're somebody who's younger and you feel intimidated by certain things. If you can just simply start to lift weights, prove to yourself that you can do it. It builds a lot of confidence in every aspect of your life. I completely agree. I think that goes for like all types of exercise and obviously anything that kind of just takes us out of our comfort zone and lifting weights is just a really positive way to do that. And it works every day because like, like you said, when I go in and lift something heavy, like it just, I just feel like, oh wow, I was able to lift, you know, this heavy weight today. That was, that was cool. Now, now I have more confidence in the other things that I do today. And keeps and, you in check too. Oh yeah. <laughs> On the days where you can't for sure. But I appreciate you coming in and discussing this topic. We could talk about this for hours. Yeah. I know you could. So Joey is actually, by the time this episode is published, his podcast should be either yeah. published or about to be published. So if you want to just kind of let us know what your podcast is going to be called, yeah. where to find you. For more information, to learn more about muscle growth and hypertrophy, and just kind of get to know you a little bit more. Yeah, I'm I'm slow and consistent, just like a turtle, man. <laughs> the podcast will be out soon, I promise, guys. If you want to check it out, I apologize if it's not out by the time you hear this, but it should be. The title of the podcast is just going to be the Dr. Joey Munoz Show, and it's funny because Adrian and I went back and forth on this. I'm not too creative, but the reason why I picked that name is just going to it's going to be all encompassing. I'll probably talk about other things outside of nutrition and training. But the Dr. Joey Munoz show is going to be my podcast. If you guys want to follow me on social media, it's just Dr. Joey Munoz. That's D-R dot Joey. And then last name is M-U-N as in no, O-Z as in zebra. And that's pretty much it. If you guys, for some reason, are interested in working with me for coaching with nutrition and training, you can send me an email at joseph at biolane. That's B-I-O-L-A-Y-N-E. Dot com And you can find my email on my Instagram profile. Perfect. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and definitely recommend go checking Joey out. He puts out great information and I'm sure his podcast is going to be a really good resource. Thanks a lot. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.